0: You're listening to audio from One Church of High Point. If you'd like more resources or would like to donate, visit onechurchnc.net. There's this uh, theme Emma and I have witnessed as we've, um, since since January, we've been kind of bouncing different churches and such. And uh, just hearing different people speak, we've been going to friends' churches, um, we've been invited to, um, and just being at places we've not been in a couple years, and there's just this theme of reverence and holiness and fear, just consistent. (laughs) Um, One church is doing a series on reverence, one church was doing a series on holiness, another person preached on, uh, on, on who God was in comparison to who we were not, and it's just this constant theme. And, uh, while one church's theme is the year of discipleship, which I'm going to talk about, that's, that's my heart. Um, but it's like for Emma and I, everywhere we go, it's just consistently this theme, even in the songs that we're listening to that randomly pop up on Spotify, like it's just this constant theme of holiness and fear and reverence of like, okay, God, who are you (laughs) compared to how much we're, we're not, how, how little we are in comparison to who God is, um. And so uh, today we're going to talk about that—that that fear of the Lord, about the lyrics we just sung. And um, I know y'all have been in a series about relationships, but this, to me, this is this is about a relationship. It's about our relationship with God, like our vertical relationship affects how we handle our horizontal relationships. And so, like, if we get that vertical relationship right, that we have that appropriate response to God. Then the vertical relationships, whether it be in our marriage or it be in our uh, our families or just our regular friendships with people, our classmates, our coworkers, and not even just the people that we like and know we know and we know. It's also about our relationships with people that just make us want to punch walls <laughs> or choke them out. When we get that vertical relationship right, because we appropriately fear the Lord, these will settle themselves right. Because we will be obedient to God and His Word. Fear is a um, it's a powerful manipulation tool. <laughs> um, it's when we hear that word. It's often used in like scary and horror films, in uh, like Scream and a lot of the horror films are really big right now. And I don't I don't get it. I've not watched a, a scary film in years because they've they've gone from like killing people like Scream and Freddy uh, versus Jason to like very demonic and spiritual things, right? It's about ghosts and spirits and possessions. And so like a lot of us, when we hear the word fear, we immediately go to those movies. And it's this fear of the unknown that makes us, it makes our, it makes our heart race, it makes our skin crawl. It, it makes us uh, like the things that we can't see, the dark in the closet, the thing we hear but can't see. And that's, that's not the fear that we're talking about when we say we want the fear of the Lord. This fear is a—like when, like when you're scared of things. So like for, for some of you guys, it might be heights. It might be um, getting, going fast. It might be breaking a rule. <laughs> um, it might be just creepy, creepy crawlers like snakes and spiders. My wife, she is deathly terrified of ticks. She thinks about it. Her skin crawls. And if there's a little one crawling, she's like, get it off, get it off. And she won't touch it. She won't look at it. Once she finds it, she, she is almost in a panic. But that's, that's not the fear. Now, our response to that fear of those things is, okay, we're not going to touch it. We're going to stay away. We don't want to hear it. We don't want to nothing. But the fear that we're talking about today is this um, God, I don't want you to disappoint you. I don't want you to be apart from you. I don't want to be absent from what you are doing. God, I don't want to be, for some of us, God, I don't want to be punished for, for my sins, for the things I've done. God, I don't want to miss out on your blessings. And there's, there's some appropriate responses to fear. There's some inappropriate ones. But to, to fully understand that, that fear, we have to understand God's holiness. What what is God's holiness? As a culture, we've we've kind of shifted away from this word. It's it's very common in in, in music right now. Like there's a country song called Holy, it, it, but it has nothing to do with God. It has nothing to do with what that word means. It, it's in the song it means high on loving you. Right? We've taken something that's grand, something that's meant to be set apart. That's what the word holy means to be set apart, to be consecrated, to be other than, to be different. We've taken something that has this, this power in its word. Like, what's unique to Christianity is like God is called holy compared to like other religions where it's just like, it, it's, it's yeah, they're holy, but it's not an embodiment of who that being is. Whereas with Christianity, with God and Jesus, it, it is who he is, he is holy. But then we sing songs about, okay, my girlfriend's holy, or I'm holy because I'm high on loving you. And what, what we've done is is because of stuff like that, and, and, and it's not always in a bad a bad attempt. Like we we sometimes bring try to bring God to our level, to some level to try to get him to be more understandable, where we can grasp it better to share it. But in, in some way we may say, Oh, that's that's the man upstairs. Or we, we may uh, score a, uh, a point playing basketball or get in an end zone for a touchdown. And and we're like, yeah, thank, I, I just thank God. We give him that glory in that moment, but we're giving him glory for the victory that we just won, not the victory he's done. And, and in an attempt to make the gospel simple, to make God relatable, in an attempt to, to make it where it's easier, or even say, hey, here's some grace. Over like the last 50 years, I'd say we have made God a, a friend more than Lord, and, we, and we've got to shift that. And I, and I get it. For some of us, we grew up in churches where it was hellfire, brimstone. You were told everything you've done wrong and never anything you did right. So for some of us, we went to our grandparents church or our very first church was like VBS and we were told everything wrong and you better get saved today because he's coming tomorrow to, to kill you if you're not saying yes. <laughs> I get it. But we've swung, we've swung the, pendulum, the pendulum too far. And sometimes it's just a matter of just our familiarity with God. We, we have this, like we've, we've been walking with the Lord for five years, 10 years. 25 years. Even some of us in the room, it's 50 years. We have this familiarity where we've gotten comfortable with who the this, this decisions we've made, who God is. And we just kind of take for granted his grace. We take for granted the, the things He's he says to do or the things to stay away from. And it's kind of like when we're kids. All right, how many of you are 80s, 90s babies? All right, so like, I don't know. To me, and it might be just because I grew up with it, but I love the '80s, '90s culture, the the, the media, the movies, the music. It's not all holy. It's not all great. So I am not here promoting it. But like we had, uh, like my wife loved a movie, Overboard, and she'd always watched it on television. But there was a moment where she's like, "Oh, I'm going to buy it on DVD because I watched it on television." And it's like the same for me. We watched Christmas Vacation. The TV version is very different from the DVD. (laughs) <laughs> you see things that you didn't know you were going to see, and you hear things you didn't know you were going to hear. But I, I remember as a kid, what my my parents, they, they're they not necessarily consistent with their walk with Christ, um, or Christ isn't necessarily the only thing they worship, but they did have a sense of morals to say, hey, you don't need to watch this. So anytime we were watching a movie, like, oh, cover your ears, cover your eyes. And I'm like, okay. <laughs> and... I remember we went and watched the Titanic in in, uh, in theaters. My mom had this her purse. She put, like, crackers and cheese, uh, had a bottle of wine. <laughs> and it was just, I, rem- I just remember it so vividly. And she, I, I can't remember if it was her or my aunt, had took her purse and acted like she was pregnant walking in. <laughs> and, but I remember we were sitting there, like, I don't know how old it was, five or six years old, sitting there with our Lunchables and wine. <laughs> and... Like it gets to that scene in Titanic, right? Like everybody who's watched that movie knows the scene. And it's like, oh, oh, cover your eyes, cover your ears. And like, if you watch it at home, you're, you'll fast forward through it. And I'd say, as a teenager, we probably fast forward to that. <laughs> but like, because we, our cultures, like, we get excited about some of that stuff, we wanna see it. But then some of it is just also just we get used to it. Like it's it's always there. And so it, it kind of just rubs off little by little by little. And so when we talk about our walk with Christ, like when we first get saved, when we first say yes, when we first encounter him, we realize how good and awesome he is. But then after, you know, the memory of how drastic our life was before him kind of fades, it's like, yeah, I used to do that. But I don't do it anymore. So, like, I've already been saved by that. What else do I need to be saved from? Like, I'm not cheating on my husband. I'm not stealing from my kid's piggy bank. Maybe. Some days are rough. <laughs> but we get so familiar with God's grace that we expect it. We say, God, you, you forgave me for this before. God, you showed me this grace before. So, surely, surely you'll show me again. And that's where we make him friend versus Lord. We say, God, your grace has worked out for me since I found you, when I was ready, when the time was right to say yes to you. But rather than commit to God's grace right now, we say, God, I'll save that for tomorrow because I know it was there yesterday. I mean, his love is enduring, right? <laughs> it lasts forever. But that's not the purpose of it. In Romans, it tells us we don't keep sinning in order to grow in the abundance of his grace. No, his grace is meant to say, hey, you don't have to do that no more. I'm giving you the power and the authority <laughs> and, and the Holy Spirit to say, hey, this, you don't have to do this anymore. This is what's causing your separation from me. We've been taught over and over and over that God's goodness, grace, and love has been at the expense rather than in partnership of God's judgment, wrath, and command. The reason we have God's grace is because we were given judgment. or were to be given judgment, but wasn't. We get God's grace because we were supposed to have been separated from him. But because of Jesus, because of his sacrifice, because of God saying, I'm gonna send my son, here's something that you don't deserve. You don't deserve to be with me, but I'm gonna make this happen anyways. Nothing out of our merit can we do to receive God's grace. To so have God's grace, but we only get that because of the judgment. We get God's love. The reason we get God's love is because his wrath was placed on Jesus. Like if Jesus didn't go to the altar, if Jesus didn't say, hey, I'm, will, I'm willing to be the ultimate sacrifice. I'm willing to be the, the slaughtered lamb on the altar. The thing that will consecrate, the thing that brings sanctification, the thing that's, that brings atonement. I'm willing to put myself here because they can't get it. <laughs> I'm, I'm willing to put myself here. That's love because he's willing to do it for us despite us not being able to. But that love only exists when we see God's wrath. When we look at the, I mean, it's in the New Testament and the Old Testament, but we see it a lot in the Old Testament. We see God's wrath for when we're disobedient. Whether people are disobeying him or they outright ignore him or they are completely against him, we see his wrath but without that wrath, we don't understand his love. And then we have his goodness. Like These are all good qualities, like like his grace, his love, his goodness. That's what we talk about. It's what we often sing about. If you listen to Caleb, that's all the songs are about. We don't sing about his wrath or his judgment or really his commandments. Do this, don't do that. I said that this is gonna be the, the, the way that brings you life. If you go down this route, it's not gonna be good for you. His commands... The things that he says to do is what is revealing his goodness. Like, one of the reasons you don't eat shrimp is because they are the bottom dwellers of the ocean. They are nasty creatures. But boy, are they good to eat. <laughs> but it was unhealthy. The, the reason that some uh, a woman on her period had to go out of town was because she was bleeding everywhere. It was to keep you safe from getting diseases from the blood. Like, it wasn't just because of, I said not to do this. God knew that there was a benefit to following his commands. So it's not our relationship with God can't be just about his grace and goodness and his love. We have to understand his wrath, his judgment, and his, and his commands. And when we get our relationship right vertically, things Change. We have to put ourselves in the place of Moses on the burning bush, Job when his world fell apart, and Isaiah when he had that vision. And we're going to talk about that today. So if you want, turn your Bible to uh, Isaiah 6. Not even if you want. Go ahead and turn your Bible to Isaiah 6. If you would, stand up with me and we'll we'll read this. You may have different versions. Um, I have the ESV up. All right, Isaiah 6. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up. And the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him stood the seraphim, each had six wings. With two he covered his face, and with two he covered his feet, and with two he flew. And one called to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the foundations of the threshold shook at the voice of him who called. And the house was filled with smoke. And I said, woe is me, for I am lost. For I am a man of unclean lips. I dwell in the midst of people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the king, the Lord of hosts. Then one of the seraphim flew to me, having in his hand a burning coal that he had taken with tongs from the altar. And he touched my mouth and said, behold, this has touched your lips. Your guilt has taken away and your sin atoned for. And I heard the voice of the Lord saying, whom shall I send? Who will go for us? And then I said, Here I am, send me. And he said, Go, and say to the people, Keep on hearing, but do not understand. Keep on seeing, but do not perceive. Make the heart of this people dull, and their ears heavy, and blind their eyes, lest they see with their eyes, and they hear with their ears, and understand with their hearts, and turn and be healed. Then I said, How long, O Lord? And he said, Until cities lie waste, without inhabitant, and houses without people, and the land is a, a desolate waste. And the Lord removes people far away, and the forsaken places are many in the midst of this land. And though a tenth remain in it, it will be burned again like a terebinth or an oak, whose stump remains when it is when it is felled. The holy seed is its stump. It shall not stand, and it shall not come to pass. For the head of Syria is. Damascus, and the head of Damascus is resin, and within 65 years Ephraim will be shattered from being a people, and the head of Ephraim is Samaria, and the head of Samaria is the son of Remelia if you are not firm in faith you will not be firm at all again the Lord spoke to Ahaz ask a sign of the Lord your God whoops, I jumped to seven, didn't I? yep, okay, sorry we're going to stop at the holy this it's stump I just kept going <laughs> alright uh y'all gonna have a seat again, reverence for the lord like we we take the, our Bibles, we throw them on a coffee table, we have them on our phones um so it's, sometimes it's just good to to stand up um and and read god, God's word It wakes us up a little bit, but also it just says that god this is you we 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 want to we hear from you in this the imagery is just amazing to me. Like, there's not much. Like, it's it's a short passage in description, but there's a lot happening, right? And um, when Isaiah gets this vision, he sees the Lord up here, and like, I don't know about you guys, but like, I I, I imagine like he sees like this bright spot up here, and all he can see is the bottom of his chair, <laughs> and he sees the, the 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 bottom of his robe, kind of like a wedding gown or a priest robe. Like, he just sees the bottom of it, and it's so big that it's, it's just it's spreading out. And you you see these pillars, probably the size of like sequoia trees, around this room, around this temple, and you're you're just kind of looking up, and you can't see the top of it because God's so big, and it's, it's, this place is so big, trying to hold in all of God's majesty, right? And it's and it's probably not even made out of like white concrete, <laughs> like it's probably made with uh, like sapphire and these these beautiful colors we've never seen before. And in the midst of all of this, like there's these Weird creatures. <laughs> um, I don't know if you've ever Googled like biblically accurate angels. Weird stuff pops up. And I, I can see why every time an angel showed up, he has to say, Fear not. <laughs> but there's these these beings, which they're called seraphim, which literally means burning ones. So like I, I imagine there's like this thing of fire with wings. It's a weird sight. But that didn't distract. Isaiah, from looking around, like he wasn't scared of that. And while these seraphim were saying, holy, 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 all of a sudden this massive place, every, like the foundation shakes at a voice that calls. He doesn't necessarily say what it's saying. He just, he just knows some, something spoke, someone spoke, and everything shook. And he knew in that moment it had to be God. the place that God created to try to hold himself shook and the, and and smoke filled this temple it filled this house and that, that, and and when he saw that smoke he he like he may have doubted a little bit what what was that like in fear but then when he saw the smoke he was like oh and probably put his head down because he knew if, if you if, he he would have known the um The temple and the tabernacle and how you put incense in the room so that God's glory (laughs) wouldn't kill you. The incense that would fill the room so that like with Moses, he says, Moses says, Can I see your face? And he says, I I can't. But what I can do is I can I can give you a a look, right? Like in, in a crevice, and you'll see my back. You'll see me walk by. But you cannot see my face and live. And so when we look at Moses, when he meets in the Holy of Holies and with the other priests, and they're, like, people knew, if you saw smoke, you do not go near that place because we are so unholy that if we get a glimmer of that, we <laughs> I may die because God is so good and so holy and different. When was the last time that you felt that same fear? When you recognize your humanity as, as filthy rags. And for those who don't know Christ, like this is probably like a, see, this is why I'm not a Christian. This is why I don't believe in, in God. He has all these rules and he wants to kill me. He's like, no. He wants that relationship with you. That's why he allowed Moses to even look at his back. That's why he says, hey, fill this room with smoke. I, I, I want to talk to you, but you, you just can't because of your sin, because of your disposition to sin. My, my perfection, my good cannot be in the same place as you. But I want it so bad that we just talked about. That Chris share about Jesus giving that that sacrifice, Jesus dying on the cross. For some of us that, like, and I'm not talking about like the big thing of like when you necessarily, like, God, I'm, I'm so sorry I did that. Like when you were caught doing something, like, like your parents caught you doing something, right? But, because most of us aren't, I would say anybody in this room is probably not a murderer, probably not a, ra- a rapist. Like these, like we think of like these big things like, oh, I'm a sinner. Um, I wasn't fe- fearful of God because I didn't do such horrible things. No, but it might be stealing from your kid's piggy bank. It it might be telling your boss a white lie about why you were late to work. <laughs> Was somebody late to work one day? <laughs> but it might be forgiveness withheld or when God told you to go somewhere and you didn't. And maybe you didn't just like, oh, I'll do that later. Maybe you actually turned your back and said, nah, I'm good. I dare say that most of us, when we felt that fear, it was either when we were caught doing something really bad, we got caught cheating on somebody, We, our our parents looked at our bank account and saw we had a credit card that was really bad. And And if it's not even that, it's probably back when we first said yes to Jesus, when we realized his goodness then. We have to be in that position. Like Isaiah was, humbly on the ground, on his knees, and the thing is, Isaiah, when he sees the Lord, or rather hears him, when he hears him, he doesn't go, oh God, please save me. No, He doesn't even get to that point. Like He doesn't even have enough self-righteousness to say that. He sits there, and I imagine he bows his head, ready for his death. There there wasn't even a, God, I'm sorry. It's He knew the expectation was that he was not to survive if he saw the Lord's face. And he knew just by being... Even if he says, my, my, "Me myself, I'm, I'm of unclean lips." But he also says, "I'm of people around me who are of unclean lips." Even if I was clean, everywhere I've been's not. And so he prepared himself to be killed. That's fear of the Lord. When do we? When do we do that? When do we say, God, I'm I know I've done this? God, I know I'm not the perfect spouse. God, there are some days I would just want to strangle my child. God, the things I did in high school were stupid. Yes. <laughs> but it's true. Like to say, "Hey, I'm not that bad." I mean, the scripture says, "Even to even to, even to say I haven't lied is, is 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 breaking the law. Is breaking the commandment, right? Like, and I think it's kind, of, kind of what we started with is like, how how do we get so far away where we kind of bring God down to our level? How do we say, God, you're Your grace is good for me yesterday and maybe tomorrow when I'm ready, but it's not for me today. Who are we to say, like, God, you're not worthy of my obedience. God, you're not worthy of my worship. The, The being who breathed out the creation, breathed out stars, the one who calm the seas, the one who who raised the dead, the one who puts life into you, the one who takes yourselves and gives you everything you need to actually replicate and live and survive, create something called laminin that holds literally your whole body together. Like, how do we say no to that? When we look at scripture and it's like, God, you didn't have to do any of that for me. if we're so arrogant to think that we are deserving of anything of God, we best be on our knees. God does not want to see his creation apart from him, though. God does not want to see his creation apart from him. It's his good that separates us. It's his moral perfection, but it's our immoral disposition that separates us. And because God doesn't want us... Separated from him, that's why he tells the seraphim, "Look, go t- take these coals and stick them on on Isaiah's lips." See, the seraphim are even so holy that they 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 themselves can't even touch the coals that will touch his lips. And it's ironic because they they are called burning ones, like they are his consecrating agents in this vision. They they are the ones that are they're doing the um, the atonement and sanctification, in, like. By this action, and yet they themselves came and touched this whole, uh, the, uh, this unholy man. They have to use tongs to not touch it. Like if the if if the angels and God's like creatures that He's created that aren't human are that holy, how how much holier is He? <laughs> And so when Isaiah says, "Woe is me," it's because he knew that he was that he shouldn't have been living. But God said, "Hold on, I'm not. I'm not going to do that. I have something for you to do." He has a message to share. He's to be a prophet of God's uh, message to these people, and to do that, he has to be atoned for. He touches his lips because in Matthew, um, in Matthew, Jesus says, basically like, what, what comes out the mouth is a reflection of what's in the heart. James says that what, whatever comes out the mouth better match what's in your heart because if you, if you are claiming to be a Christian, if it doesn't match, it makes religion, Christianity, it makes religion useless. If what you say and what you do don't align, It's useless. And so, like, the, when Isaiah has his lips sealed like that, it's purifying because it is an outward symbol of an inward work. And that, in, in Western culture and Christian and, or American Christianity, that's, that's, that's why people don't want to be around the church. It's why people think Christians are hateful. It's why people don't want anything to do with the God that we call Jesus. But it's like, well, you say you worship him, but what you say and what you do don't don't match. And I'm not talking about being a Christian nation. That's that's not the point. If we lean too far left, we, we end up in God's grace and we forego the truth. If we lean too far right, we go all truth and we forget his grace. There's a balance. In verse seven, he says, your guilt is taken away and your sin is atoned for. Atonement, it's a very churchy word. Um, in short, uh, we'll have it on the screen. It says it's the its the um, removing of the effects of sin from a repentant sinner and allowing that person to re- reconcile with God. God knew that this message he was about to send was not going to be a pretty message. this This was not a, oh, hey, you're going to get saved. Your nation's going to get healed. You're going to have an amazing leader come up. No, it's Things are going to get rough. Things are going to get hard. They're going to get difficult. And then they're going to get difficult again. And then, like, all, all your people are going to be spread out. You're going to start seeing famine. You're going to see destruction. I mean, it talks about fire going through the nation. Even if there's a tenth remaining of people, like, it'll, it'll, it, it brings it where there's basically nothing. But then at the end, it says there's, there's this stump left, and out of that stump, a holy seed will come out. Amidst all this, this destruction, there is a glimmer. It might be like a piece of glitter. There's a glimmer of hope. God knew that that's, that message was not going to fall on, on ears that wanted to hear it. So he had to have a willing servant. And so when, he, when, when Isaiah gets this vision and, he's, and he gets uh, atoned and sanctified by, by this vision and by God, he then says, God says, OK, who, who will go for me? And Isaiah is ready. He's like, God, you didn't kill me. <laughs> yes, please use me. Use me. <laughs> I'll do anything for you. He's ready. I wouldn't want to be that person sharing that message your nation's going to get destroyed. <laughs> but if you're, if you're faithful enough, if you're obedient enough, if you follow Jesus and, and, and believe in him or in, in Isaiah, is God, but like if you just hold fast and you remain faithful, I promise you good's coming. But you don't get that good unless you're aligned with me. And so he's he's uh, sorting through. It's like the separation of uh, of sheep and goats. There's something I do want to talk about. We we it's, it goes back to the question of who are we. Who are we to ask? I wasn't sure I was going to share it, but I feel like I need to. Who are we to say, God, you, you did this or didn't do this? And one of the questions that we get is, why doesn't God speak like this or show us visions like this anymore? Why doesn't he do amazing things like part the sea? Why doesn't he show up physically in a pillar of fire? Um, why doesn't he send these angels like this to us? Wow, like, like, in the, if we look at the Old Testament, it's so descriptive and graphic, and we see like a lot of times like this physical image of God, sometimes or at least like a characteristic of him, right? And so, like, a question that people ask is, "Well, why does He show up like that for us anymore?" And He does, but it's but it's because like in, in the Old Testament they. They had to go to where God was, right? And if we start Adam and Eve, they got banished, so they got separated from Him. But then to see God, He had to show show up in a vision or a dream, um, like He did with uh, Abraham. And then as we move into the temple, He shows up in this or uh, into the Promised Land, going from uh, Egypt out. Like we see this pillar of smoke and pillar of fire. Then the temple's built. He shows up in the Holy of Holies. Then there's the Ark of the Covenant where he's in this thing. Um, and he's carried like, it's kind of very physical, right? But then we get to the New Testament and it's all like, Oh, he's here. He's it's spirit. And like, if we ask those old Testament and even, even the New Testament believers of God, this question, why, why doesn't he show up like that? They're like, are you kidding me? Y'all get to get them everywhere. Y'all don't have to go to the temple. Y'all don't have to wait for him to show up with the, with fire. You don't have to wait on him to talk to you. You have access to him twenty four seven. And and it's not just the Bible. Like like a lot of them. Whoops. A lot of them. Uh, number four yep but a lot of them they had the the scrolls they had the um the scriptures but they had to go to the temple and wait to hear on a certain day a certain festival a certain moment when they got to that part they didn't just go oh you know what I'm gonna read about the account of Moses and Exodus today No, they had to wait for that for the rabbi to say it to them in the temple, in the synagogue. We have access to this twenty four seven. I mean, in a paper Bible, but even in today, like your app on your phone in your pocket, it's everywhere. If we look at the disciples, they would they would be infuriated. The disciples would be infuriated. You mean you don't get to read God's word every day? Like you don't? They'd be like, oh, you have it with you? How late do you stay up reading about uh, David and his kingship? How late do you stay up just reading about Moses? Well, I mean, I, I read it last week. They're like, I am I read it last week. Well, I mean, I didn't read it. My My preacher told me what it said. They would get so mad because they had this ex- excitement, this expectation of you get to have God with you all the time. He resides in you. He calls you the temple and the Holy Spirit's in you. He speaks to you, but you waste it. Isaiah got a glimpse of what of what we get to experience. He got a glimpse in that vision of hearing God in the intimate. By that that sacrifice, that atonement, and we take it for granted. The message that Isaiah was to share was about this seed, the seed—the seed that comes out the stump to very sinful people to say if you're faithful who we know is Jesus is coming if we continue on Isaiah 11 if you want to turn there with me we sa- we sang it this morning Isaiah 11 there shall come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse. And it's talking about just a family lineage at this point. Like it's the family lineage of David. There shall come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse and a branch from his roots shall bear fruit and the spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him. The spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord and his delight shall be in the fear of the Lord. He shall not judge by what his eyes see or despair, Their young shall lie down together and the lion shall eat straw like the ox. The nursing child shall play over the hole of the cobra and the winged child shall put his hand on the adder's den. They shall not hurt or destroy in all my holy mountain for the earth shall be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. It goes on, but like he's speaking of Jesus. He's saying this is coming. All, all, the spirit of understanding, the spirit of power and knowledge, it, it boils down to, at the end of it, it gives a fear of the Lord. Jesus would have to have that spirit. Jesus would have to have that spirit to understand God's purpose for him, to understand the detriment of humanity without his sacrifice the spirit of power that gives strength to overcome temptation, a spirit of power that heals and delivers, counsel that comforts when he bleeds for the sake of us, counsel at the weight of the cup he was about to bear, counsel to know when when to reveal himself as the son of God and when not, knowledge that would aid in the accomplishment of his mission, knowledge of scripture to endure any situation, and knowledge of God that allows him to trust in God's goodness in all situations. Jesus had to have that to fulfill it. He had to have God in him there he had to have the holy spirit and we have that same holy spirit we have that same holy spirit the disciples didn't necessarily uh get the same graphs they the the the, the first disciples did but like old testament they they didn't have, i mean it's not at your fingertips so he's in you <laughs> but like they they would they would kill to have that I mean like by no means are they going to leave heaven to <laughs> to to get this experience but they wanted that they would probably they yearned for it I'm sure if they understood what god what God was going to do. When we ask just those questions of God, uh, do you show up still like this? When we're when we're short of saying "woe is me," when we're short of saying "God, you're so good," like who are we to say that? And when we when we get to that place, when we have that fear of God, that's when we receive His grace. And when we receive God's grace, just like Isaiah did, that's what leads us to obedience. God's grace should lead us to obedience. And our obedience reflects that that honor of God or a fear that honors God. A lot of times we get to this point in our our faith where we say, "Um, yeah, I, I know Christ. Uh, he has saved me. I love him. He's done this and this and this and this. And then the extent of our walk is our, our fear of the Lord brings us into the building rather than our fear of the Lord sending us out to make disciples. Isaiah, he, he probably wanted so bad to stay in the Lord's presence right there in, in that temple. But God gave him a mission. And he would rather obey God than do, than sit there and dwell and, wa- and just watch what else was going on, because God didn't just call him to sit there and watch God move. He said, "Hey, I have a message. Go and do it." Y'all are in the year of discipleship. Your fear for God should not just bring you to accumulate and gather in this building. I mean, Scripture says, "Don't forsake the gathering of believers." Don't don't get me wrong, but it's for your your benefit to be encouraged and edified and Uh, education so that you can be sent out our fear should send us out to make disciples when our vertical relationship with god is right our horizontal relationships change no longer are we just bringing hey come to church with me no i have church in me and i'm going to tell you about what jesus has done for me and who he is i have the holy spirit in me here's why that's our call. It's not your pastors. It's not the worship team. It's not production. It's not your Sunday school teacher, your parents. That's, that's your call to make disciples, disciple-making disciples at that. When Jesus is speaking to um, his, the crowd in Matthew 21, uh, he's telling a parable. And he, he says, uh, Matthew 21, verse 28, what do you think? A man had two sons, and he went to the first and said, Son, go and work in the vineyard today. And he answered, I I won't. But afterward, he changed his mind, and he went. And then he went to the other son and said the same. And he answered, I will go, sir. But he did not go. And so Jesus asked, Which of the two did the will of his father? And they responded, The first. And Jesus Jesus said, Truly I say to you, The tax collectors and the prostitutes go into the kingdom of God before you, for John came to you in the way of righteousness, and you did not believe him, but the tax collectors and the prostitutes believed him. Even when you saw it, you did not afterward change your minds and believe him. He basically, saying he's saying talk is cheap. Like you Pharisees, you, you don't get it. You you hoard everything you've got. You 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 keep the Holy Spirit. You keep God. You keep all this to yourself. It's all talk and no walk. Yet yeah, these people over here, they're getting it. They're walking the walk. They might tell you up front, no, I don't believe in that, and then they change their mind, but they're doing the will of God. You might say here, well, I, I, I'm not going to go across the street talk to my neighbor, but but then you actually go do it. That's doing the will of God. Don't tell me you're going to walk across the knee and walk your, your neighbor to salvation and then never actually do it. But when we have fear of the Lord, all other fears... Disappear, so that fear that says, "Hey, you better not go across the street. They're going to look at you crazy. Oh, they might be a little too liberal. They're not. They're not going to want to hear that. Oh, that they're they're too conservative. They're they're all. I know you don't like those composed people. And maybe it's not even just about the person. Maybe it's about you. God, I, there's no way you can use me. I'm not gifted enough. I don't know enough scripture. I don't I don't know much else other than Jesus. You died for me." when we have a fear of the Lord, all other fears disappear. If I I fear God, then I know that he will provide when there's scarcity. If I fear God, when there's a lack of community, I know he will provide that. If I fear God, and I know that I'm not gifted in speaking, he will give me the power to speak. Whatever that is for you. um, If I fear God, I know that no weapon will prosper over me. If I fear God, I know that I will receive the blessing of eternity with him. If I fear God, I know that I will not be judged by my actions, but by the word of the Lord. If I fear God, he will be honored and glorified. He will give me space among the heavenly hosting and holy, holy, holy. If We are consistently fearful of the Lord and are obedient. Things change. Last week, we got to um, share with uh, the South Coastal District about our church plant. And uh, afterwards, we had the uh, it was a South Coastal District Pastors Gathering, and we learned something that was really cool. He, he Pastor at uh, Twelve Stone said something of people, especially Christians, but uh, Christians fall into like one of three categories. If we can pull up that chart, uh, it's the Venn Diagram. He says we fall into either spiritual intimacy with God, biblical knowledge, or holy obedience. Spiritual knowledge, your heart—that—that's or spiritual intimacy—that's in the in the wrong place. That becomes emotionalism. If we if we lean more into you know, I would say the careful here the like the Pentecostal side of church, you get emotionalism. Maybe it's like camp, summer camp, or you go into marriage retreat, or you go and go to a conference. You, you're on this high, like yeah, I'm a I'm gonna take on the world for God, and then your car breaks down on the way home. And it wipes all of that oomph out. Spiritual intimacy, like without the other two pieces, makes it where you are you are on fire for God when things are good, but when things are rough, you're you're not gonna be able to to sustain yourself because you don't have the knowledge of God and you don't have the ability to be obedient because you don't have the knowledge of God. With biblical knowledge the the danger in that if we are only there is we get intellectualism people just i I gotta know more i gotta know more what about the scriptures how long have they been around uh tell me about the pharisees what about their culture and like you do all this digging and digging and digging and digging and like it, it just stays here it doesn't change you and so when god says to be obedient you're like well what does that mean does that mean read more does that mean sit here and tell somebody about numbers and read through the genealogy? Please no. (laughs) Biblical knowledge doesn't doesn't help people. It can. It's a great asset. Some people would have to learn that way and be changed that way. But if you don't have that intimacy with God, that prayer, that worship, if you don't have that intimacy with him or even being among believers, how do you know when you're called and how, how do you know what your giftings are? And then there's this obedience. The, the, the fear and obedience is that it becomes legalism. So it's kind of almost the opposite of uh, the Pentecostal piece where it's, well, you better dress up right. You better do this and do this. The, the obedience comes before communion with God. It's I've got to get my acts right before I can come to God in prayer. And when we lean into either of those directions, it's because of fear. It, it's spiritual intimacies. I I fear being absent from God. If we have biblical knowledge, it's, I fear I don't know enough about him or obedience. I fear of letting them down. And I, I would challenge you that if you're, if you're, if you're not in that place, like Isaiah was, it's probably because you're in one of these three. If you're sitting in this building, you're, you're probably a Christian. I, I'm just going to guess that. But which one of these three do you need to tap into? God, I, when things don't, when I lose my, my tire on the way down to your interview for a church plant, <laughs> I, I need to lean into that biblical knowledge. God, you've always been faithful. I know you will provide. If your fear of being obedient and say, God, give me the strength, give me, be like Moses, but like, look, I'll go if you send somebody with me. Take my brother, please. Even, he was like, I, I'll just go. He can speak. And then God will still use you to speak and not your brother. <laughs> We've got a table that we're going to um, bring up here. And there's uh, paper and pens. And what I want you to do is, uh, what I really wanted to do is bring uh, fire pits in here with like coals in the bottom of them. But I was told the fire system would probably go off if I did that. <laughs> Uh, sprinkler system, I mean. But what I want you to do is like spend some time uh to worship TV, I can come up with some music and stuff as we transition. But um ask God, like what what prevents me from saying, God, what was me? God, what prevents me from from being in your presence and saying, Yes, here I am, please go send me, I'm ready. Maybe you've not had that fear of God in the past, where you're you you feel the need to have Him. If we fear God's absence, our intimacy with God grows. We, we do that, like we're getting into small group, joining a serve team, reading Scripture. If we fear of getting God wrong, our our wisdom will grow. And, and God says, "Look, if you if you ask with." doubt you ask with full uh intent I will give you that wisdom if we fear God's wrath our obedience would grow what is it that you're fearful of above above God is it a fear of finances is it a fear of letting your family down is it a fear of somebody finding out something Is it a fear that others would would leave you? Is it a fear that God will put you someplace you don't want to go? Is it fear of being judged by your coworkers? What is it that prevents you from saying, God, you are so good and holy, I will do anything for you. We'll say the good and holy part, but we're not going to say I'll do anything for you. What is is that? And so we got post notes and um, you can write Write those things down. And just like Isaiah did, um, we're gonna have these candles lit. You're, you're gonna burn them. You're gonna, you're gonna say, look, God, I, I I want to have a fear for you that allows me to say yes in all things. I want to have a fear for you that says I'm, I'm willing to do anything to make you known. I know how you how good you are for me. And I don't want to take that for granted. God, I know I've done this. God, I know I've done that. God, I, I don't want to lose you. Bring these things here. It's just—it's just a symbol of uh, of some sanctification of being made right. It's just a symbol of of offering. God wants wants your all. He wants you. That's why he. Made that sacrifice on the cross, and it's not because he just wants you to do things for him. It's he wants to be with you. Let's stand. We'll pray, and as you feel led, um, come, come, make your offering. Come, give up whatever that fear is that is not God. Jesus, I pray that um, as we leave today, God, that we just we we dig more into who you are. God, let us not forsake um, your goodness and grace, but God, that we, that we, we have a an understandable approach of your entire character. God, that your goodness comes from your commands. God, that your your grace comes from the judgment we're supposed to get. God, that your love comes is is uh, and in place of the wrath that you placed on your son, God. If our if our fear of saying yes to you is because others are going to make fun, let us lay that down. If our fear uh, of, of going and saying yes to a, to a place is is because it's new and different and it's not what we've known, God, let us lay that down. God, if our if our fear of Not having enough time, let us lay that down. God, put us in a place where we're like Isaiah, looking at you and your creation in heaven and saying, I don't deserve to be here. God, my sin, God, the things I've done. God, the things I've told you no on, the things that uh that I that I hide, the things that um the moments when I say, I don't, I don't want to dig into your word. I don't want to know you today. God, this scripture's hard. You're telling me how terrible of a person I am. God, when we when We do things out of tradition or out of just motion. God, give us the give us your spirit so that we can have an appropriate response to you. One that puts us on our knees and says, Woe is me. Thank you for your grace. God, let us be ready ready to say yes, giving you the, pl- the praise. how we love you. We thank you. how we thank you for your presence is still here. Let us not leave without making a choice and offering something to you. We ask this new you for listening to audio from One Church. If you made a decision of any kind today or would like to learn more about what your next step is, visit onechurchnc.net. If you are local to our campus, plan your visit online at onechurchnc.net slash visit.